0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. HerMoney is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Healthcare costs are on the rise, and taking care of our health is one of the most important moves we can make for our lives and for our finances. Make a plan for managing your healthcare costs with the help of a complimentary wealth checkup at planefe.com slash hermoney.
1: There's so few times that business people become famous and cross over into mainstream. And it was a way for them to have at least some renown. And it was about who they were in work and not necessarily who they were personally. And I do think that that was, even if not ideal, it was useful.
0: Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. So, whatever happened to the girl boss? The term, you might remember, was coined in 2014 by Sophia Amoroso, who created the fast fashion outlet Nasty Gal and basically took the world by storm. In her book, she describes a girl boss. As a woman who's not afraid to take power from the inside and in turn her successes would lift up all of the women below her. Needless to say, it caught on. Her book sold a half million copies. Sophia quickly launched a media brand with the same name. And with Sophia's rise came other women like her, dewy face, freshly blow-dried hair, and of course, always wearing perfectly tailored power suits or other outfits. There was Audrey Gelman founder of the women-only social club and networking space The Wing, Mika Agarwal of the feminist period underwear company Thinks, and perhaps the most notable of them all, Emily Weiss of the cult favorite beauty brand Glacier. Fast forward to today, and just as quickly as they rose, most, if not all, of these girl boss empires have crumbled. Sophia and Nasty Gal were accused of discrimination and abusive management. The company eventually went bankrupt. The wing shut its doors in 2022 in the wake of being criticized for being exclusionary. And most scandalous of all, Think's employees accused Mika Agarwal of sexual harassment and filed a formal complaint against her. So what is it about us? As a society, that can't get enough of hearing about the public takedowns of all these female founders. And why do we give men a break when women are held to such higher standards? Today, Marissa Meltzer is in the house. She decided to dig into one of those meteoric rises and falls in her new book, Glossy. Ambition, Beauty, and the Inside Story of Emily Weiss's Glossier. She is a journalist who spent her career covering beauty, fashion, and wellness for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Vogue, and Vanity Fair, to name just a few. And you might remember her name because we had Marissa on the show back in 2020 to talk about her previous book on dieting and body image. Marissa, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I want to start with the idea for your book. You said after a meeting with Emily Weiss, you went into a bookstore and you saw virtually no books about female startup founders. Why do we hear so many tales about men and the lore behind them and their genius and hardly anything about women?
1: I mean, I think that genius has something to do with it, this like mystic quality that men are pursuing. I don't know, high-minded ideas and that women are making things that are like more problem-solving or that they are making things that are sort of more baldly corporate or something like that. I think about it in the way that the fashion industry is sort of taken more seriously than the beauty industry because there are more men involved as designers in the fashion industry. And it has this kind of patina of... Artfulness and creativity, whereas beauty, even though it makes so much money and is arguably more powerful and reaches more people, is considered just more plainly commercial based on insecurity rather than self-expression.
0: So interesting. I just opened my Wall Street Journal app before we did this interview. And there's a story about why is it that men are making all these fashion decisions for women? And I think you're right. I mean, I grew up in women's magazines. I know that. Yeah,
1: as did I. Yeah,
0: Yeah, beauty ads were the bread and butter. And yet beauty companies don't get the respect that they probably have deserved. You opened the book with Emily Weiss crying yeah. as she spoke to you. And you're Very candid about feeling like you were capitalizing on her pain by writing the book. You start the book with her crying. There were rumors that she was having a tough maternity leave and feeling lonely after moving to L.A. I'm kind of struck by how honest this is. Other books that we have read about founders, at least the ones I've read, usually don't show them as emotionally complex humans going through a difficult time.
1: Why was that important to you? In some ways I the question for me is how could other authors not include that it almost makes me wonder if that's some sort of strange male perspective or myth because for me both to understand my interest in Emily Weiss and the company and to sort of show what it's like to be in front of someone who's that creative and powerful and innovative was to understand her as a human without making the book too navel-gazing to also understand what it means to want to write about someone, especially someone who's relatively young, who's not a household name, even though she's built this company worth over a billion dollars, almost two billion. It's not easy to be written about. I've been written about a lot and I've written about myself, but it's important to sort of understand why why you're doing something and to remember that this is a human being, especially in the business and entrepreneurial world where there is such a strong amount of pressure to show yourself and market yourself as a person in a pantsuit on the cover of a magazine looking strong and All you do is think and make decisions all day. I think it's important to show that this was a person who existed in the world and had feelings about this book happening to her, even if she had opted to participate.
0: Why her? I mean, at the time, I think if you were looking to tell a girl boss type story, Mm -hmm. which I think you we're doing, but I might be wrong. Why her? Why this story?
1: I didn't come into the book actually so much through the girl boss. For me, the original idea of the book was through my obsession, kind of as we talked to previously about this the beauty industry and its power. And I knew that it was keeping the lights on, but didn't really feel like it had gotten its due and had done so much reporting in the industry, I thought that there deserved to be a book about it. And meanwhile, the last big article I'd written before the pandemic was about Glossier and Emily Weiss. So Glossier was very much in my mind, and Emily had been someone that I had profiled before and found fascinating. And so... Originally, the idea of the book was sort of broader and following different beauty companies, but it didn't end up actually making a great narrative. And Glossier was always going to be part of it, but I just sort of realized they dwarfed all of the other narratives and that everything I wanted to say about that era, whether it was the girl bosses or beauty or finance or culture or aesthetics could be told through this lens of Glossier. And that was, it was actually a story, a narrative, and not just this kind of thing you get from a lot of like journalists that write books where every chapter is kind of a description in a different place, an event, and that the story of Glossier was actually like kind of thrilling and a page turner.
0: Can we take those one by one? Yeah. You basically just laid out sort of the five pillars <laughs> that you were looking to conquer with this, and I think there are lessons in each one uh-huh. for us. We recently did a a show about K beauty and got a, oh, yeah. a really got a huge response because there is this pressure on women to show up looking, if not perfect, as close to perfect as you can. And the uh-huh. beauty industry, it it feeds that, it supports that. Sometimes it tries to turn it on its head. Sure. What did you learn about? the beauty industry and its impact on women and how we use our our money our resources our time by following this tale
1: i think a lot about how it changed from when i was growing up when i was reading say fashion magazines my mother when i was a kid in the 80s or in the 90s that was a very top down kind of beauty where it was these often or almost entirely owned by large conglomerates like L'Oreal or Estee Lauder. And it was kind of like here's what the colors were for the season, dictated by the runway. And as worn by a supermodel or actress, we had on contract And here are the limited shades foundation that we would hope matched you and all of that. And it had changed so much in the past few years where there was a lot of independent companies like Glossier that had made inroads and this idea of like pick and choosing makeup, whether it was that you were going to buy all of these like contour sticks to do a kind of like YouTube makeup sort of Kardashian look, or you were going to buy all of these serums to do a Korean skincare routine, or you're going to go the Glossier route and do kind of barely there, like smudge on a few blushes and stuff and kind of look you, but better. But that also you didn't have to choose one route. You could be that person even over the course of one day or something that Beauty wasn't this like monolithic thing that you had to just choose an identity for and go with. And that to me had been a real change that I'd seen over my life, I guess.
0: As you think about that change, do you think it's been freeing for women or do you think it's become more demanding of women?
1: I believe it's been more freeing. I think that different options also reflected a larger idea of what could be considered beautiful. Even if models now are still models, there's still people who are paid because they're striking. There's at least some larger array of body diversity, race, gender presentation. Obviously we have a long way to go and not everyone is seeing themselves reflected, but it's so Different and the messaging is so different than when I was growing up. It's less of don't hate me because I'm beautiful, like these things you have to do, you know, you have to buy like things in order to mask your imperfections. Now I routinely see people like Gen Z wearing Zit stickers in public, and they seem to have, at least in New York City, no ramifications or embarrassment around it, which I love.
0: I think that's great. The last three chapters of the book are titled The Last Girl Boss. Mm -hmm. And what is it about Girl Boss? I mean, Girl Bosses, I got to say, I think they've had it really, really
1: rough. I agree with you. Girl Boss was this strange moment because I remember always thinking it was a little bit cringy, like one of those things no one is like proudly calling themselves a Girl Boss, but other people are like, calling a cohort of women a girl boss with something they would claim or not. But the more that I thought about that era, which wasn't long ago, maybe it was what, like six or seven years ago, but it feels like a long time ago because the idea feels dated and we have the pandemic. So time has shifted, but I thought about the utility of the term, it was so easy to say, oh, it's it's a terrible diminutive, how offensive, who is the boy boss? But at the same time, it allowed women like Emily Weiss or Audrey Gelman from The Wing, Ty Haney from Outdoor Voices, to sort of be covered in some ways on their own terms. They didn't have to model five days worth of work outfits or do a home tour or these kind of traditional ways that women were covered in business if they were covered at all. Also, there's so few times that business people become famous and cross over into mainstream. And it was a way for them to have at least some renown. And it was about who they were in work and not necessarily who they were personally. And I do think that that was Even if not ideal, it was useful. And so really thinking about that era in a way that was critical and nuanced, I think really helped me understand Emily, her fellow founders, and what that might have been like. But yeah, I think it was unfair too, because these women were really placed on a pedestal in some ways of their own choosing, because they were hiring press people and doing interviews and their being forward-facing was helping their companies. But it also kind of had this like shark circling for blood moment where people really wanted to tear them down. And then there was this sort of domino effect of she's bad, she's bad, she's bad, when really there was an array of issues, some criminal and some quite minor. It was a lot of the same Problems, any kind of movement, not all wrongdoings are the same, I guess. And so Girl Bosses got lumped into a bad name, I would say.
0: I mean, the media really seemed to go after them, right? Mm-hmm. To try to dig up all the dirt that they could on this generation of female founders and played a role in their downfall. One of the through lines was this is not a friendly place. For women, this is not an equitable workplace. They play favorites. There are countless microaggressions. And while I think that, of course, you want to wipe out that sort of behavior at work, I can't imagine that if they had gone after this generation of male founders, they would not have found the same thing.
1: Oh, I could not agree more. I think these are societal issues and issues with work in general that can't be solved by one person or a group of a few people. Even if these companies are getting a lot of coverage, this is not like Amazon we're talking about here. And so again, as everything with women in the public eye, this double standard is just wild. You know, The things that we allow men to get away with, it reminds me of something my mother used to joke about, where it was like, women had like a Ten pound gray area between when they were considered acceptable and fat, and their men had like a seventy five pound range. And I think of that as similar for like infractions in you know the world, especially in business. It's like men had to do something really egregious and criminal to be called out, and women had to do something so minor as to seem like maybe poor managers, which is about as commonplace as anything.
0: We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, just a reminder check out our new podcast, How She Does It, for intimate cocktail party style conversations with today's most influential women, hosted, of course, by our pal, Karen Feinerman from CNBC. Her money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Healthcare costs are on the rise, but we know that taking care of our health is one of the most important moves we can make for our lives and our finances. The good news is that with the right savings and investing strategies, you can get out ahead of unexpected healthcare costs and develop a plan that can work for you and your family no matter what life throws at you. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup to meet with an advisor at planefe.com/hermoney. And we are back with Marissa Meltzer, author of the new book Glossy Are there any cool founders or brands
1: that you have your eye on these days? I love the company that Julie Shaw runs. She co-owns Starface, which is a pimple patch brand. And they've since gone in some really interesting directions with other brands. They have a smoking cessation brand that has cool Gen Z branding for like lozenges and stuff like that. And they have D2C emergency birth control brand called Julie that is even available in some vending machines on college campuses. And I think the way that they're going as being almost like an alternative Procter & Gamble for a young generation is really fascinating. So I'm keeping my eye on them. They're doing things unlike any other company I've seen.
0: Anybody else? That's a good one to watch. I'll keep my eye out.
1: Yeah. I'm also seeing like which celebrity beauty brands stay and which, and which disappear.
0: The products that come out of these celebrity beauty brands, are you a fan of any in particular?
1: There is a Fenty eyebrow grooming product that's almost like a pomade or something that just keeps my unruly curly eyebrows in place. The Rare Beauty from Selena Gomez has a nice blush. Their products are not unlike Glossier's, which is an aesthetic that I like. I just want to rub something on to make myself look kind of less ghostly and go about my day, but no, I tend to more go with brands that I like and know, or like European pharmacy brands that I discover on vacation that just look interesting to me.
0: So what do we learn from where Glossier was, where they are now, and, and from Emily's story?
1: I think that for Glossier, it's probably... Being careful about taking money and what's offered to you, and growing at such a fast rate that that is very difficult, and that even and it got getting caught up in a moment. Maybe a huge amount of funding is offered to you is exciting, but for people to really think what comes with that. But I also think that there is a lesson that remains to be seen. But Glossier had a rocky moment, or maybe even a plateau. But it does seem like they, I don't know if they've quite turned it around, but they are in the process of turning it around. Time will tell what happens to the company, but they had a very successful launch at Sephora, decided that they were doubling down on being a beauty company and no longer experimenting with this idea that they were a tech company too. They got some new management, all of whom had very solid experience in large companies. And I think that they grew up in a sense. Maybe they don't have that same magic they did in the beginning, but few companies do. And I'm genuinely interested and excited to see what happens with them. For Emily, I think she is so young. Glossier was virtually her first job, let alone her first company. And when she left, I think she was about 37 years old, 38 years old, so she is so much ahead of her. That kind of ambition and drive that she seems to have been basically born with, I think is very hard to extinguish. Even if you wanna take time off, she's one of those people I imagine, not unlike myself that has a hard time turning off the idea as part of my brain. And so, I think that we will see something else from her. I don't think it'll be in beauty. i I would imagine I don't know. She seems very interested in, you know, parenting. She was eight, almost nine months pregnant with her first child when she stepped down as CEO of glossier. So I could see something in that realm. Who knows, But I'm excited for what's next. I imagine also that she was just exhausted and needs some time off. yeah,
0: you know, it's funny. I was thinking about. Emily and in the same breath thinking about Bobby Brown, mm-hmm. who has been very open about the fact that she really regrets selling, not her company so much, but her name, yeah. Estee Lauder, all those years ago. And she went through some years of trying to figure out what she wants to do and has had this big Hit yeah. with Jones Road. And I hope that talented entrepreneurs like Emily find a way to rise again. I'm sure that she will. For the founders out there that are looking to build a brand of their own, what things did she and Glossier and
1: these other founders do right that you think they should emulate? Emily was very good at asking for what she wanted from people. And in a way that few people I've ever encountered. Did you know when she was a teenager? She was babysitting for a neighbor in Connecticut who happened to work for Ralph Lauren. And she said, I like babysitting your kids, but I would love to work at Ralph Lauren when she was like 16. That person helped her get an internship there while she was still in high school. That really takes guts. She also was a really hard worker in this way that impressed people. People were willing to go out of their way to help her because she was really capable, but also she would ask for help in a way that wasn't overly, I don't know, needy or manipulative or awkward, just very straightforward. It's a lesson that takes most people a whole lifetime, if not a lot of their adulthood, to learn to be assertive in that way. And so I would say that's the number one thing that I wish that I had taken or known when I was a teen, let alone in my 20s or 30s. I heard that the book
0: recently got picked up by Amazon Studios for a TV show. True? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's their option. Fingers crossed. But yes.
0: I hope that that goes well and and that it, it turns into something that we are all excited to watch. What's
1: next for you? I'm writing a book about Jane Birkin, the actor and singer, and kind of the way that Glossy has a lot of cultural context and kind of the rise and fall of the girl boss. I really want to talk about the creation of this sort of and selling of this myth of the sort of perfect French girl as an export to the world. So. That's my next project. I'm headed to Paris pretty soon to start researching.
0: Lucky you. Can't wait to read it. Marissa,
1: where can we find out more about you and where can we find the book? You can find it anywhere books are sold. Amazon, your local independent bookstore. I hope it's everywhere.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for hanging with us today.
1: It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: And before we dive into our mailbag, a quick word from our sponsors.
2: Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling and detailed analysis, Foul Play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved.
0: We are back, and my daughter, Julia Chatsky, is joining us for Mailbag. So i got to say, I didn't really know that much about Glossier's origin story. Do you shop at Glossier, or are you sort of more Sephora and department stores, or are you ordering from Jones
3: Road? I'm ordering from whatever influencers post about on um, Instagram. I'm a marketer's dream. (laughs) <laughs> I had a Glossier phase. I know people that are obsessed with it still. My cousins, Sid and Dale are very much Glossier girlies. They're a little younger than you. Yeah, I definitely think it skews a little younger, but people love it. People love it. They opened a store right around the
0: corner from my apartment, and there is... Well, the stores are really pretty. Their perfume smells really good. Yeah, the store itself smells really good. I'm susceptible to that. I... I joined my gym because I liked the way it smelled. So there you go. Let's
3: take some questions, Jules. All right. Our first question today comes to us from Linda. She writes. Hi, Jean. Do you have any advice for my 25-year-old daughter? She unfortunately got herself into a bit of credit card debt in college, which dropped her credit score to 550. While she is now debt-free, she is not qualifying for any credit cards. Is there a faster way to build up her credit? She currently lives at home but would like to move into an apartment with friends this January, however, is concerned about her credit. She is determined to build it up now that she has a good job post-college. Thank you in advance.
0: It's a really good question. There are a lot of kids who get themselves into credit card debt either in college or coming out of college. I got into some big credit card debt coming out of college. The nice thing about a credit score is that you know what you need to do to improve it. It's just a formula. And so in order to improve her credit score, she does need to get a credit card because that is the way to build up a history of payments. Even though she's not qualifying for any traditional credit cards, she can get what's called a secured credit card. And this is where you make a deposit with the bank that issues the credit card. That deposit is equal to your credit limit, as long as you pay off what you owe, and you should be paying your bills in full and on time, but really, as long as you make a regular history of on-time payments, you will build good credit. And many of these secured credit cards actually will just morph into regular credit cards in 18 or 24 months' time. So I would start with a secure credit card. I'd also look at services like Experian Boost that will give you credit for the other payments that she's making. Because she's living at home, she's not making rent payments that could help her qualify, but maybe she is making a cell phone payment. Maybe she's got a car payment. All of those things are going to help her build a credit history. And when it comes to credit scores overall, the five things that matter are number one, on-time payments. You don't want to be late at all ever. Number two is what we call credit utilization. That's the percentage of the available credit that you have that you're actually using. And you want to keep that number below 30% or even preferably closer to 10% while you're really trying to juice your score. Number three, you want to maintain a mix of a number of different types of credit. Number four, we look at long credit relationships. And number five, you want to make sure that you're not reducing lines of credit when you shouldn't be trying to cap that utilization. So no closing credit cards. That can work against your score. Other than that, she's pretty much doing everything she can. Once she gets a credit card. There is one other hack that you can use to boost your score faster. It has to do with credit utilization. Ask your credit card company for an increase in your credit limit and then don't use that increase. Keep your utilization still at those very, very low numbers. That should help this move a little bit faster. But I would say watch your behavior. When it comes to moving out in January, she may not be able to qualify for an apartment without a co-signer. It's going to be up to you as to whether you feel like she is responsible enough to pay her own rent and keep you from having to step in as the co and make those payments. I've got to say, I co-sign for both my kids. The amount of income that landlords sometimes need in order to qualify is many times that of what kids just out of college are earning. So co-signing in this instance is not something that I think is a mistake, but you, again, need to know your daughter and you need to know if you feel like she can handle it. But those are the steps and I'm sure she'll get there sooner rather than later.
3: All sound advice, mom. Thank you so much.
0: I mean, I don't know anybody your age, particularly people who've moved into a city, a big city like in New York or an L.A., who have been able to do it right out of college without a co-signer.
3: Yeah, I mean, me either. But, you know, I'm in a lot of Facebook groups, and obviously not everyone is in the position where their parents are willing to co-sign. So I'm wondering if you have any information on those, like, there are, like, co-signing websites that people recommend in these Facebook groups. Do you know anything about that stuff? That is a really good question.
0: I don't know about it, but I will look into it and we'll talk about it on a later show. All righty. Thanks, Jules. Thanks. Speak soon. This episode, we're doing something special, a 10-minute segment with our friends at Citizens Pay, where we talk spending and the best practices for buying those big purchases that you know you're going to need to pay off over time. While it's been a little bit of a rocky year for the economy, one thing is for sure, Americans are spending. Consumer spending reached an all time high of 15.34 trillion. That is trillion with a T in the second quarter of 2023. It grew 5% year over year from June of 2022 to June of 2023. And while we love the fact that all this consumer spending is just one of those things that is helping to keep a recession at bay, we're a little wary of some of the other all-time highs that we are seeing with debt. U.S. household debt just hit a frightening new milestone of $17 trillion. At the same time, credit card balances surpassed one trillion. And this is especially concerning given that credit card interest rates right now stand at near record highs. So, what is a smart consumer to do? Well, these days there are more ways to pay for things than ever before. Yeah, you could open a new credit card and take advantage of points. You could try pay over time financing. You could look into loans or even open a store card if you're making a large purchase and the discount is worth it. Those are all options. But what's the right thing to do? How should we be paying for things to save us the most money in the long run? Today, we're going to break down how to spend smarter while still making sure you get what you need with the help of Christine Roberts. She is president of Citizens Pay. Citizens Pay is the market leader in combining point-of-sale lending and pay-over-time financing. It gives consumers flexibility in payment options away from those high-interest rate credit cards and the pay-in-for traditional buy-now-pay-later providers. Christine, welcome. So nice to have you here. Nice to see you, Jean. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So you and I have known each other for a while, years. You've been on this show before. I'd love to hear a little bit more about this new role that you're in at Citizens Pay.
2: Oh, wow. Gene. when I was here before, I was here when I was head of our student lending business. And I think one of the tenets that I had always talked about, right, was helping families pay the least amount for the product that they're getting right in that case it was education i've now taken that over into our citizens pay business which is another way to help individuals and families to pay smart for things that they either want or need and allow that to fit within their budget and so we are fortunate to work with some of the top merchants in the country in order to help provide financing to consumers at point of sale to to make purchases of computers or home appliances or home improvement, phones, anything that these days has a much higher ticket value than it did 10 years ago. So Citizens Pay has been at this since 2015, and we're excited that we are considered a leader in the marketplace now. What
0: are you hearing from consumers this year? I just rattled off some statistics about how spending is holding up really nicely from an economic perspective, and yet debt is also on the rise.
2: Yeah, Gene, I think what's interesting is we have finally seen the runoff, if you will, of all of the stimulus money that was put um, in consumers' hands during the pandemic. And it was great that The government was able to help support families during that time and that actually allowed them to use less credit and still be able to do the things that they needed or want to do. Now, that money is burned out and so folks are back to spending habits that they had pre-pandemic. The upside though is there's more choice available for folks at this point when they do need to make large purchases. As you stated, we are seeing significant increase in credit card usage, and we are seeing increase in other types of lending. Most recently, we're actually seeing an even higher usage of the more quote unquote traditional buy now, paid later, which is your pay in for products, which we don't do. What we're trying to help people is balance out what types of lending vehicles or financing vehicles you should be using for what types of products. And then most importantly, making sure it fits within your budget. We don't want to see people overcommit their finances. We want to see people making good decisions and trade-offs. And so we really want to try and help consumers figure that out because we are seeing that more and more consumers are using different types of financing vehicles.
0: When we're looking at those sorts of purchases that we know we are going to have to pay for, in chunks because there's just no way to fit a new couch into our budget one month or a new fridge or a repair. How should we be thinking about the math here and evaluating what goes on a credit card, what goes on even a debit card, what goes in a pay-in-for product, and what goes in the zero percent longer term financing that you're talking
2: about? I think the best way that we have been looking at it with consumers is to say your everyday purchases, groceries, gas, things that are quickly paid off are better on a debit or credit card, right? If you have cash in hand, you should be working cash in hand. If not, then get your points, right? Get your benefits from your credit card, but do it in a way that you can pay it off quickly next month within two months. So that way, you're not racking up extraordinary amounts of interest in the interest rate environment that we are in today. Second, I would pay laters again are good if you're trying to make a, I would call it a less than $200 purchase of something that you want or need, but it fits within your budget to pay it off in a short period of time. So you're gonna pay that off in six weeks, right? And again, you want to make sure you're using that in a conservative way, a recent CFPB survey found that the high buy now, pay later users have almost 40, if not more than 40 buy now, pay later structures going at the same time. That's just putting yourself, quite frankly, over the edge, right? Keep that small and tight, but know that it's, the upside to that is you're paying for something that's a little bit more expensive, but that you're gonna pay it off in a period of time. Then you've got your store cards that you can use if you're loyal in a particular place, if you've got home improvement cards, those are great because you can either get a discount or they do 0% financing. The caution on those though, is that's known as a deferred interest card in most cases. And so let's just say they offer you 12 months of 0% financing. If you don't pay off that charge in the 12 months, all of the interest that you would have accrued during that 12 months gets put onto the cart. So that's a big gimme if you buy $2,000 worth of fencing and you don't pay off the $2,000 in a year, all of that interest that had been accruing throughout that year then gets added. That is considered a deferred interest vehicle and it, it catches so many people out. And it's something, by the way, we don't do because if we tell you it's 0%, it's really 0%. And then look at the, again, the larger purchases. So anything from $500 or more, really try and find any of the 0% or low interest, right? We have some of our merchants that are doing like a 499 rate, which is still better than a 2999 credit card, right? And it also allows you to manage your payments. The upside to a pay over time vehicle is how much you're gonna pay per month, how much in interest you're going to pay during that period of time and when you're done paying. And I think that's the key in order to be able to look at your budget and set yourself up successfully to say, I'm taking a 12 month loan. I'm going to pay for my $1,200 couch over 12 months. This is the fee that I'm going to pay for it. And here's when I'm finished. And so it's really that kind of comparison. It's a little more like a car loan right that you know that in yes. 36 months you're done
0: are there other big differences between buy now pay later and the pay over time financing that you guys offer
2: so there's a couple of different things a lot of the buy now pay later's they don't report to the credit bureau it's very short term there's a lot of i think regulation that you know many of us believe regulations going to be coming in because of just how overextended people are really becoming and how that can affect other type of lending. So you think about it, the person who has 40 buy now pay later is going, that's really eating into their free cash flow. And so there's there's some interesting trends that are going to be coming from a regulatory standpoint that may tighten up some of that. And we have to advance as an industry, quite frankly, because I do believe that the traditional buy now pay later is here to stay. That being said, Where we do some things very differently is number one, our 0% is, is truly 0%, right? We don't do deferred interest so that you know exactly what you're gonna pay for the term that you have agreed to. Our products today are locked into a particular merchant. So if you go to Best Buy and you join the Upgrade Plus program, all of the Apple products that you buy at Best Buy through the Upgrade Plus program can only be purchased at Best Buy. And we liken our programs to partnerships more than anything. We are truly looking at partnerships with merchants that are offering services and products to consumers where financing is necessary. So really just looking at these partnerships in a way that creates financing structures for consumers that benefit them. The other thing for us that's different is our product is a line versus a closed end loan so if you get something from one of the buy now pay later some of them do have pay over time offerings but they are closed end loans so when you finish paying for it the loan is done and you have no access from an open to buy standpoint for us if you you go in to join the upgrade plus program at best buy we will approve you for a line so call it a five thousand dollar line and so as we pay down within our programs, then you're open to buy comes back up.
0: Thank you. It's a very complicated landscape with a lot of different terminology. And so for me, it's important that people really understand the details. Last question, Christine. We are up against the holidays, and the holidays for a lot of people drag right on into February, March, April as people try to pay off what they've purchased. Any good rules of thumb just in general for sticking to your budget and avoiding missing payments?
2: To me, it always comes down to planning. Avoid the urge, right? If you're out shopping for particular gifts, stick with what you thought you were going to go and buy. Avoid the urge to overspend. It's so easy at the holidays to go out there and everything looks fabulous and beautiful. And you find one more thing or, you know, you find something that you like, but there's a more expensive one, right? And, oh, I can just pay it over time. It's almost like they always say, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry because you know you're gonna buy a whole lot more than you probably ever will eat. And so the same holds true, I think, for holiday shopping. Have a very tight list of what it is that you're going to buy and how much you're going to spend and keep track of it because it's really, really easy to fill up that cart too much faster than what you're gonna be able to consume and what your family will consume just from a gifts perspective, right? And then have the plan on when you know you wanna pay it off by, so that you're not falling into a trap of, to your point, you put it on a high interest credit card and it's gonna take you twice as long to pay it off versus shopping smart with some of the other types of financing that's available.
0: Christine, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for all the great information. It's always so good to see you.
2: Wonderful to see you too, and have a great holiday.
0: You as well. And now we're going to take a quick break.
2: At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.
0: We are back with your money tip of the week. According to new data from Lending Club, 61% of Americans now say they are living paycheck to paycheck. Why? Well, a few reasons. First, the cost of goods right now and services is so expensive that makes it feel like we've just got less wiggle room when it comes to the basics. So how do we make sure that we've got enough money socked away that we'll be okay financially if the worst happens and we lose our paychecks? The very best way is to start tracking where you're spending and try to save something, just something, starting right now, even if it's only $10 a week. Figure out the small places that you can cut back, start funneling that money that you do not spend into a savings account, and then shape that into a monthly spending plan. Or if you've had one that works for you in the past, There's no need to reinvent the wheel. Go back and take a look at it. Make sure that you're looking back through three months of your financial statements, your bank and credit union accounts, your credit cards, Venmo transfers. Check where the money is going. Make sure you're still using those things. And if you're not, cancel them wipe them off your list. And if you're looking for a little more hands-on help with problems like this with a dedicated money coach and a class full of accountability partners, check out our eight-week finance fix course. It'll help set you on a better financial path. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Marissa Meltzer for chatting with us about the rise and fall of the girl boss. And Christine Roberts from Citizens Pay for her advice on paying for big purchases. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review, we love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Edelman Financial Engines. Her Money is produced by Haley Pascalides. This show is mixed and mastered by CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Check out our new podcast, How She Does It with Karen Feinerman, for intimate cocktail party-style conversations with today's most talented female leaders. This podcast is also part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can find us and other shows like us at airwavemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon.